Welcome to the Dry Fasting Club and the beautiful world of dry fasting. I'm Yannick Wolf, and I hope to be able to guide you on your dry fasting journey. The Dry Fasting Club is a place where dry fasters from around the world meet others following the same path. The Dry Fasting Club's goal is to simply discuss dry fasting and provide an opportunity that allows you to continue your research. Before we continue, it's important to note that the information provided here is done to the best of my experience, my research, and feedback from people I've helped. My opinions may change when new information is discovered. Therefore, it should never be taken as medical advice. You should always speak to a medical professional about your decision to attempt fasting in the first place. Please treat this information as entertainment only. As some of you may have noticed, this episode is sort of a remake of the first episode I released. It's because I've decided to go through all of them and put in a lot more effort. When I first started the Dry Fasting Club, I wasn't sure how much effort I wanted to dedicate to it. I had healed a disease that the medical community had no cure for, and I had helped a few others heal as well. I wanted to tell everyone about it. I wanted to shout it from the rooftops. This time, I'm approaching it from more of a polished angle instead of just jumping into it. I'll be discussing my protocols and other things you can find on the dryfastingclub.com. And I'll also be working on some interviews with other dry fasters. So these episodes and this one in particular is for all you fasters who are just scrolling for more content to help you get through your fasts. It's also for those looking around and trying to dip their toes into the world of dry fasting. Hopefully, I'll be able to enlighten some of you. And for others, I hope to persuade you on why dry fasting works and why you should give it a shot. Let's get to it. Just as a preface, dry fasting and fasting in general is dangerous, and if done incorrectly, can lead to death. I would never dream of denying this truth. In the same way, it is dangerous to drink more than five cups of coffee, and a teaspoon of pure caffeine ingested all at once can be lethal. Trying anything out of the ordinary should be done very carefully and usually discussed with your doctor. Why do animals refuse food and water when they are extremely ill? How is it that a hibernating animal doesn't get sick but instead grows healthier the longer it hibernates? Why do sick people often feel an urge not to eat and sometimes have to even force themselves to drink? Why do most ancient religious religions revere fasting? Have we, collectively as a society, become so captivated by food and comfort that we've hidden these truths under the mask of safety and security? Too often, we overlook truths hidden in plain sight simply because we believe society deems them incorrect. Picture this. Owls flying by, people dressed in robes, whisperings of muggle, just out of earshot. I can't help but laugh at my own Harry Potter references. But what if a wizarding world type of reality was right in front of you, and you pulled an Aunt Petunia turning your nose up at it? You may not be catching quaffles on a broomstick, but 
dry fasting has a sense of magical mysticism in itself. By dismissing it, you'd be turning away from a secret world of healing and longevity. Dry fasting means no food and no water. Yes, you heard that correctly. Some argue that this is the only true form of fasting. To dry fasting purists, water fasting is technically not true fasting. In fact, it's important to understand that to hardcore fasters, there's only two forms of fasting in the first place, wet and dry. Wet fasting refers to water fasting, but only in its most basic sense, consuming only water. And it should be high-quality water. No, you can't have a slice of lemon, a dash of sweetener, or a cup of tea. In fact, some water is not even clean enough to be considered adequate. Certain water sources may contain enough pollutants to counteract the benefits gained from fasting. And drinking water also prevents your body from expelling deuterium, or heavy water, from its cells. This is why, to many absolutists, it's not even worth their time to look at water fasting as a primary source of healing, since obtaining high-quality water is pretty hard these days, and adding anything to the diet just overcomplicates things. Dry fasting is so ridiculously simple and hard to mess up. So, in honor of KISS, keep it simple, stupid, and put the water away. Dry or soft whether you are intermittent fasting, one day a week fasting, or extended fasting, dry fasting is often considered as being approximately three times stronger than doing it with just water. Completing a three-day dry fast is equivalent to undertaking a seven to nine day water fast. Wow. However, there's more to consider. In the world of dry fasting, there are also two ways of doing it, hard and soft. In the case of a hard dry fast, nothing, not even a single raindrop, touches your lips. Whereas a soft dry fast allows you to do things like shower, bathe, and handle liquids. When you are soft dry fasting, you need to remember though one important thing, not to brush your teeth. This is very important on extended fasts. When extended dry, your mouth environment becomes more and more acidic. Your body will create a coating on your teeth that you do not want to disrupt. I know it's gross, but sometimes you just have to deal with it. Your body knows best. Due to various limitations, such as social interactions and having to be around people in general, in that case, hard dry fasting may not be the best option for you. But if you're looking for the ultimate healing experience, you will have to carve out some time to perform hard dry fasts. The world of parasites is not even well understood. Some hide in mucus and some are viral in nature and can reside in your nervous system. Some, hide, uh, some were picked up recently, while some may be generational in nature, which means that it's passed down through your generations. A hard dry fast, in this sense, is analogous to pulling a fish out of water. How long will it survive on land? That's your hard dry fast. There are many nuances to consider, 
But remember that when your body is entirely empty of water, it knows what mechanisms to activate. Trust in its wisdom. Nutrient deficiencies. There are numerous reasons humans need to detoxify and fast. Pollution is on the rise and nutrient levels continue to decline. Some people swear by things like reverse osmosis water. This is a powerful solution to the toxicities involved with our water supply. But keep in mind that this water is stripped of most minerals, so it's not an ideal solution. Then it is artificially replenished with a select few, ignoring the need for trace minerals and causing, in itself, a lot of nutrient deficiencies. A quick solution to this would be to look for some high-level remineralization cartridges or find these high-quality drops called trace mineral solutions. Some people would argue that mineral deficiencies are the key issue that causes most of our illnesses and problems. That's why if I guide someone during a dry fast, one of the key things we try to do is I always try to make sure that we replenish the minerals first. There's no doubt that most of us have lost access to the nutrient-rich water that humans once enjoyed. Nowadays, water is contaminated by pesticide and fertilizer runoff, an ever-increasing amount of estrogen-based pollutants, chlorine, and other chemicals. And you wonder why, collectively, as a human species, we are getting sicker and sicker. Sure, we've eradicated a lot of hygiene-related diseases, but as we keep progressing, our rates of autoimmune diseases keep skyrocketing. Could this be linked to nutrients? It's probably a big part of it. If anything, fasting is needed now more than ever. By fasting, we enhance our body's ability to absorb nutrients, detox, function effectively, and combat the health crisis that we currently find ourselves in. Mainstream Views of Not Drinking Water Dry fasting is the best form of fasting. This might sound like an elitist attitude, but it relies on a multitude of factors. Even though dry fasting works, we as human beings are going to fight against it. It's only natural. We don't like being told we're wrong. Only a crazy person wouldn't drink water. If you've just recently started intermittent fasting or found your way into the world of water fasting, you might feel like you've already run a marathon of research and experimentation. Being told that you're still not where you should be is disheartening. As a result, a lot of people will completely shut down the idea of dry fasting. They'll never get to the why it is beneficial. It's much easier to just hold on to the popular belief that water is essential. Here are a few comments I hear daily. There's no way going longer than three days without water is even possible. I don't want to die. What an idiot. You should be censored. You are obviously crazy, and I'll just stick to water. Before we continue explaining what dry fasting is, let's dive into the preconceived notions that everyone has. You will die in three days if you don't drink any water. This saying is so widespread that you don't even take a second to think about it. That's it. Period. V. 
finito, no questioning it. Yes, human civilization is founded on water, and it has been a pivotal part of any city's development, as every city required a water source. Water is needed for drinking, sanitation, crops, and so much more. It's so necessary for daily life that we can't begin to imagine living without it for even a short period of time. It's no wonder that the mainstream view sees not drinking water as a crazy idea. It goes against everything you've learned and been told. It is unfortunately the main reason that stops people from exploring the benefits of dry fasting and stops them from transforming their lives. It's sad, but true. However, the fact that you're even listening to this means you're open to understanding this concept. It's as if you've pushed through the matrix and are willing to explore reality. I'll also add that I'm also a big believer in hydration being a key to a healthy body. The fact that I choose to utilize dry fasting as one of the most powerful tools for health does not mean that I hate water in any way. Quite the opposite, really. In a few years, maybe in a decade or two, I truly believe that dry fasting will become much more widely accepted. Similar to how intermittent fasting and water fasting were once viewed as unhealthy a decade ago. I wouldn't want to be late to this party because knowing that I could have stopped illnesses, reversed aging, and lived a healthier life in general a few years earlier would eat at my soul. As the popular、uh, quote goes, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. Religion and dry fasting. Many people believe that not drinking anything for 24 hours will make you sick. We don't even take a second to consider how absurd that thought is. Can you imagine one of our ancestors dying after a few days without water? I don't think we'd have survived as a species. Did you know that some individuals with hypersomnia sleep for over 24 hours? They don't wake up in the middle of their sleep to drink a glass of water. Did you know that practitioners of Yom Kippur don't touch water for 25 hours? That's millions of people undertaking a hard dry fast every single year right before our eyes. Did you know that Ramadan involves an intermittent dry fast performed for about 30 days straight every single year? Billions of Muslims don't drink water from sunrise to sunset and repeat this every day for 30 days. They've been practicing this for thousands of years, and nearly every single study that follows biomarkers and health conditions of Ramadan fasters. Has demonstrated incredible improvements in overall health. You don't have to be religious to realize how much human knowledge has been lost over the years, nor do you have to be religious to appreciate the significance of these revelations. Everyone would greatly benefit from following a tradition like Yom Kippur, once a year, observing a 25 hour dry fast. Can you imagine the entire world dry fasting together? 
abstaining from electricity, water, and food, it would bring everyone closer to their own interpretation of spirituality, regardless of their religious beliefs. If everyone dry-fasted occasionally, it would make the world a better place. Right now, it starts with you. You have the power to improve your life and become a shining beacon to those around you. All it takes is one person to start a change that can shape the future. The Scientific Method The scientific mainstream hates fasting and won't even entertain the concept of dry fasting as a possible legitimate health practice. You could argue that the scientific method is superior and that if dry fasting does indeed have significant health benefits, science will eventually uncover them. I believe this is a reasonable view for a skeptic. However, we need to consider two things. First, our scientific method is currently slightly flawed and provides opportunities for lies and misdirection. Two, by ignoring ancient wisdom such as fasting, you sentence a lot of people to death and suffering, and you're fine with it as long as the scientific process is preserved. This is the way I see it. We do not have enough safeguards from both scientific fraud and the peer review process. Both are influenced by financial incentives or scientific accolades. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a crucial part of the scientific progress, but it's not always right. Consider this analogy. Scientists are like chefs in a kitchen, cooking up delicious, nutritious knowledge for us to consume. But what if the ingredients they're using have been compromised? These interests can slip into the peer review process and affect the whole dish. Financial incentives are the most common form of compromise in this scenario. It's great to believe in science, but it's foolish to assume that people do not conspire behind the scenes. And here's where it gets really interesting. These compromised studies can trigger a domino effect of flawed science, much like toppling one domino can cause an entire structure to collapse. One compromised study gets published, and suddenly it's being cited by other researchers, perpetuating a cycle of bad information that can be really difficult to break. On the other hand, maybe a study does not get published because it goes against the interests of its funders. Once a process is approved by a governing body, it becomes harder for doctors and medical specialists to say anything against it as it can cause them to lose their licenses, as we've seen over the last few years. Do you remember that time when butter was evil and margarine was hailed as our savior? Well, it turns out some of those studies were influenced by financial interests. And now we're all back to eating butter again. Were you aware that the past 16 years of Alzheimer's research were based on fraudulent data? What about the whole demonization of fat instead of sugar, funded by the sugar industry. You get the point. Just because the current consensus is that you'll die without water for three days doesn't mean it's accurate, as I'm hopefully about to demonstrate with more examples and reasoning. What about the second part of what we wanted to talk about? What about forcing your views on others? 
Would you choose to sacrifice anyone and everyone right now to uphold the scientific consensus? Would you prevent people from making their own choices, allowing others to make choices for them instead? Would you choose to not let people get prescribed a possible therapeutic, but instead tell them to vaccinate or die? All because your world would collapse if you accepted the idea that the world is not black and white. And that sometimes well-intentioned people can sometimes be wrong. You seem to prefer a world of left versus right rather than one of truth-seeking and asking questions. Consider this trolley dilemma. You have the power to divert a trolley that is speeding down the tracks. It is going to run over three adults. But you can divert it quickly instead to run over only two babies. The idea that you know the correct answer in this scenario is absurd. With the same type of thinking, you would deny anyone from dry fasting simply because you believe you know what's best for them. Do better. Open your eyes. Fasting solves this human condition of selfishness and ego. There's something about going seven days or more without water. It will teach you to let go of preconceived notions and to heal both the body and the mind. The Dry Fasting Science In honor of the scientific method, let's touch upon uh, two key studies that have come out only fairly recently. I won't dive too deep into this in this episode, but keep in mind that I will explain them in more details in following episodes. So, small nuggets of knowledge can be gleaned even from studies that did their best with what they had. But occasionally, you find a study that did precisely what you'd like to see. In this case, there's a study on 10 individuals that dry fasted for 5 full days for a total of 120 hours without food and water. Most people would assume that the participants would have gotten some sort of kidney damage, something maybe some sort of deficiencies, maybe some physical discomfort. At the very least, their bodies would be worse off after the fast than before the fast. After all, it's impossible to go five days without water, right? The results from the study show, I'm just going to read it out here, stable levels of electrolyte concentrations, stable glucose, stable heart rate, oxygen saturation, and serum osmolality. It seems that potent hormonal and nervous contraregulation results in the effective management of food water deprivation risks. And then it goes on to say, food and water deprivation seems to be the most effective dietary protocol since weight reduction is at least 50 to 100% more than observed during juice or water fasting. That's pretty crazy. And let me quote the conclusion of the study. The intervention of five food and water deprivation days, which would be dry fasting, in 10 healthy adults was found to be safe, decreased weight, and all measured circumferences, and improved renal function considerably. Amazing, right? There are also studies showing new types of autophagy being unlocked during dry fasting. That shouldn't surprise us too much considering there are unique mechanisms of autophagy that only activate during things like heat therapy, cold therapy, and exercise. This is called hormesis. Hormesis, or the hormetic effect, 
in a nutshell, is the concept that exposure to low levels of stressors can actually be beneficial for the body, promoting resilience and adaptation. Think of it like a workout for your cells. A little challenge goes a long way in making them stronger. Hormesis highlights the benefits of mild stress on the body, and cold shock proteins and heat shock proteins exemplify this concept. Think of heat stresses like saunas and hot baths, Think of cold stresses like ice baths, cold showers, and standing around naked outside in the dead of winter. By helping cells adapt and thrive under these temperature stresses, these proteins contribute to overall health and resilience. It's like the saying goes, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and that holds true even on a cellular level. Now that you're armed with this understanding of hormesis or the hormetic effect, wouldn't you agree that there's a high probability that dry fasting, the act of zero water or water deprivation, may also stimulate a new type of autophagy? Wouldn't you say that it's possibly one of the strongest hormetic effects? No, you might say. If there's no research, then I'm going to have to say no. After all, I only believe what I see in research papers. I thought you might say so. Well, let's go ahead and reveal what's behind curtain number two. The study is called Hypertonic Stress Promotes Autophagy in Microtubule-Dependent Autophagosomal Clusters. Wow, that's a mouthful. So, what is hypertonicity? And it is the main thing being discussed as the hypertonic stress. We need to understand this to understand why this study relates to dry fasting. Hypertonicity in this situation refers to a solution that has a high solute concentration. So that could be lots of salts or solutes in, the, in, in any sort of concentration. And in this case, we're talking about blood and low water concentration. So kind of like when you're depriving your body of water. Your blood starts to thicken and you create a bit of a hypertonic environment in the body. Hypertonic stress is exactly what happens during dry fasting, where the decrease in water creates that situation. So I believe that now that we can agree that this study may in fact relate quite well to dry fasting, let's see what the researchers discovered. The study conclusions are as follows. There's five of them. One, we show that hypertonicity rapidly induced long-lived protein degradation. What does that mean? It's targeting proteins that normally don't get targeted by the body's autophagy. Two, hypertonic stress increases autophagic flux. That basically just means your autophagy goes off the charts. Three, autophagy induction upon hypertonic stress enhanced cell survival. So something is happening that is just giving you even better benefits. Or, we additionally showed that hypertonicity induces fast reorganization of microtubule networks. That's crazy. Five, these findings reveal increased autophagic flux and microtubule network reorganization as key components of the osmoprotective response. So here they're saying they don't know why such a crazy environment like water deprivation can give you such benefits, so they blame or they give most of these benefits to the osmoprotective response. 
Isn't that wild? Immensely amplified autophagy, not seen with other methods, alongside mechanisms that restructure the microtubules. What are they? So microtubules are so critical to cells, you can view them as the cell's bone structure. Do you know how small they have to be? With that in mind, fixing something so small requires nano-level surgical precision, which is currently impossible with modern science. The body is its own doctor. So on that note, as Hippocrates said, and I quote, everyone has a doctor in him or her. We just have to help it in its work. The natural healing force within each one of us is the greatest force in getting well. Our food should be our medicine. Our medicine should be our food. But to eat when you are sick is to feed your sickness. Considering the ethical challenges posed by dry fasting research, it's not surprising that few studies have been conducted on the subject. If someone has not experienced dry fasting themselves, they're likely, they'd likely have a bit of a moral dilemma when asking their participants to not eat or drink water. I mean, this isn't North Korea, where human experimentation can be carried out without concern for ethics. Knowing this, and since most medical research depends on funding, it's unlikely that many organizations would finance dry fasting research. There's just no money in getting someone to not consume. At least not much money, that's for sure. The conspiracy theorist in me suspects that dry fasting research might be suppressed. Yet there are still some studies that directly and indirectly provide evidence to dry fasting's safety and efficacy. We'll discuss more of it in a future episode that focuses on health and longevity with dry fasting. Weight loss and loose skin. One of the last things I want to touch upon, let's talk about some other points that make dry fasting different from water fasting. Weight loss. Have you ever daydreamed about trying a new weight loss diet that just effortlessly melted all your fat away? It's definitely a thought shared by millions of people around the world. The sheer number of diets throughout the years tells us that this is something that is a long-standing struggle many people have faced. I think it all started around the time processed fast food became mainstream. Cheap foods, instantly ready to eat, filled with trans fats and heavily salted. Changing your eating habits back to natural whole foods is obviously the most important step a man can take. But it's just so hard. After all, how can you be expected to give up your Red Bull and breakfast bagel? A wonderful aspect of dry fasting is the relationship it cultivates with food. Your body begins to crave whole foods, and after enough times dry fasting, you may find that your taste for processed fast food slowly disappears. Instead, you start craving vegetables and fruit. This newfound connection to food is invaluable. It cannot be bottled and sold as a pill, and therefore it should be considered a priceless benefit. Dry fasting is the ultimate weight loss tool. Not only is it a great weight loss tool, but it also has a powerful effect on loose skin. Dry fasting has such powerful autophagy that it reaches into your skin and starts using it as a fuel source. As sad as it is to say, 
many people try out dry fasting simply for weight loss and then discover that it helps with loose skin too. Yes, it's true that on a 7-day dry fast, you can expect to lose up to 20 pounds of weight. The first two days are mostly water weight, and they will return. But there is a significant portion of fat that gets incinerated as well. If this was water fasting instead of dry, you could expect to be left with large, loose rolls of saggy skin. This is often talked about as a cause of concern when people are trying to fast to lose weight. The body of a dry fast, sorry, the beauty of a dry fast is that your body is a byproduct of fat cell destruction. This process is significantly slowed during water fasting, which also tends to consume more muscle. But take a look at before and after pictures of people who have dry fasted for extended periods of time you'll notice that they remain muscular. This is because dry fasting involves muscle-sparing mechanisms. The body goes after the fat, not the muscle. While it may sound too good to be true, it works wonders and we love it. If you refeed correctly, you won't just make sure you exit the fast safely, you'll also be able to keep off much of the fat loss and maintain a lot of your muscle. Some would even go as far as to say that dry fasting is easier than water fasting, especially in the first few days. When you dry fast, you enter ketosis faster and much more aggressively. This means that you get faster health benefits. It's quite common to hear the saying that a day of dry fasting is equal to three days of water. That in itself should be a huge motiv motivating factor to give it a try. Who doesn't want to get the effects of a 21-day water fast in one week? That's one week off of work instead of three. Don't forget, there's a deeper level of autophagy that you can't even come close to achieving with water fasting. Remember the study I mentioned about hypertonic stress? Well, there's no hypertonicity involved in water fasting. I mentioned ketosis. Uh, so for those of you who don't know what it is, let me give a quick explanation. Ketosis is a meta metabolic state where the body primarily burns fat for energy instead of carbohydrates. This is what happens during dry fasting and other fasts. This shift occurs when carbohydrate intake is significantly reduced, prompting the liver to produce this thing called ketone bodies as an alternative fuel source for the brain and other organs. For example, Imagine your body as a hybrid car. The car runs on gasoline, but you want to change it to electricity. So the car runs on carbohydrates, but when the gas tank is empty, it switches to fat, electricity, as its primary source of energy. By entering ketosis, the body efficiently utilizes stored fat. It's this ketosis that gets the engine running for better lysosome activation and so many more healing mechanisms. When you dry fast, you induce the most powerful levels of ketosis and activate things like microtubule repair. Alright, let's wrap up this introductory chapter on dry fasting. I've attempted to provide a solid overview and touched on a lot of things of what dry fasting entails, and I hope I've piqued your interest. In the following episodes, we'll explore dry fasting in greater detail, covering topics such as addressing health issues, 
preparation, refeeding, studies and science, common mistakes, and a lot more. I look forward to helping you on your dry fasting journey so that you can be the best version of yourself and a guiding light for others. If there's one thing that can act as a reset button for your life, it's dry fasting. It's not fixing your diet, it's not quitting smoking, procrastination, or drugs. It's not fixing your mental health, meditating, or working out. I'm not downplaying these accomplishments. I'm just trying to make a point. Fasting has the power to make quitting vices and healing illnesses 10 times easier. It should always be the first step. Yes, that includes mental illnesses like depression, procrastination, and even schizophrenia. Dry fasting as the ultimate fast promotes personal growth and can impact every aspect of your life. It has the power to transform both your life and the world around you. Good luck on your dry fasting journey. Well, we're near the end of the episode. As always, references are in the show notes. If you would like to support this podcast and my work at exploring dry fasting topics, I have a link in the show notes where you can donate and buy me a coffee. Subscribing or leaving a five-star helps me continue this work. If you'd like to give me any ideas on how to improve, I'd love to hear from you. If you're looking for some coaching and motivation for your next dry fast, send me an email at yannick at dryfasting.com. Sorry, that's yannick at dryfastingclub.com. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening and make sure you join the Dry Fasting Club Discord group. Good luck on your dry fasting journey.